Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that we could be present in this place. God, we named our church Fixate because that word means to gaze at with unwavering attention and focus. And in this day and age, everything competes for our attention. And not all of it is life-giving, and we know that you are the ultimate life-giver who sacrificed your son on the cross so we would have access to the power of you in heaven and also the presence of you with us here and now. So God, we thank you that in this place we would gaze upon you, and as we gaze upon you, we trust that as we look upon the creator, he longs to create again. But so often we've been intoxicated with the belief we can create with our own lives and not realize that when we put our lives in your hands, you could create better than we ever could. So we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been in a series uh, here on the Sermon on the Mount. And so we have been now, this is part five, and I think we're going to go eight or nine weeks all the way up to Easter talking about the Sermon on the Mount. So today is actually going to be Sermon on the Mount, part five. Specifically, we've been taking 10 to 15 verses every single week and just working through it. And we just finished Matthew chapter five. We're now entering into Matthew chapter six, and then we will finish up in Matthew chapter seven. But today we're going to be reading Matthew 6, 1 through verse 15. And the title of today's talk, I guess you could say, is The Reward of the Secret. The Reward of the Secret, specifically within Matthew 6, 1 through verse 15. But before we get there, I'd like to add context and connotation as to why we're doing this. See, many of us, I think that the Sermon on the Mount is like the easiest passage of Jesus's um, talks to immediately be like, okay, well, you know, that's a really good thought, but I can never live that way. What do I mean by that? We see Jesus starting his entire kind of public vocational, literally speaking ministry with this teaching, and he starts with the Beatitudes. And immediately in the beginning, we form a disassociation, like, okay, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who are persecuted. Like all of a sudden, it's easy to just be like, okay, well, none of those things apply to me and I don't think I'll ever be those things. So ultimately, it's easy to just check out. And really what I feel like a lot of the time is this. We in this day and age have been so accustomed to information and the knowledge that comes with information. But very rarely, because we intake so much information, do we apply that information into the transformation necessary of the power behind what we're learning. See, and this is what Jesus actually stepped into too. We talked about this last week. The Sermon on the Mount, to me, is this idea that Jesus shows up and what he says is, I want you to practice a new way of living. It's going to be redirected efforts, and it's going to be a higher standard. And here's the thing about it. It's not just words and actions anymore. Now, I say that, and some people in this room are like, wait a second. No, our words and actions are important to Jesus. They absolutely are. But what we broke down last week is Jesus introducing this thought that a lot of religion in that day was, I know the actions I'm supposed to do and the words I'm supposed to say, but my heart is not changed. 
my mind trapped and stuck. The sin that so easily entangles me is fully entangling me. And what Jesus introduces is this idea that it is no longer lip service and it is no longer action. It is now thoughts, desires, motives, your reasoning. See, all of this is what Jesus is wanting to change and submit to his will, his likeness, and what he has purchased for us. Not just words that we can say that show that we're, we're followers of God. Not just things that we do that show that we're followers of God. But our desires that show that we're followers of God. Our thought life that shows that we're followers of God. Our personhood on the inside that nobody sees and nobody knows that we are working through as we journey into the process of becoming like him. I say this every week and I want to challenge the perception. Jesus actually opens in Matthew 5, 19, challenging the listeners of this particular um, segment of scripture to practice these things and you will be great in the kingdom. Sermon on the Mount, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Practice these words. He actually even closes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24. And he says, if you want to be like a house built on the rock, practice these words. You know, it's interesting in Christian culture or any culture, right? We say, oh, you know, I built my life on the firm foundation, the rock of God, right? But to very many of us know contextually that to say that would essentially say, well, I build myself on the rock of Christ by following the example and the words of the sermon on the mount. Because that's actually where the phrase was uttered. My final piece as we get into the reading. I've said this often and I believe this is something Jesus, and I was to sum up the whole of the sermon on the mount into like a, a redirected efforted phrase. I would say this, it is no longer about trying harder, but it is about training harder in a new way. See, a lot of people, what they've done is they had been trying and trying and trying and trying and failing. And for some of you guys who are like, well, what does that mean? You can read all of the Old Testament is essentially about God's chosen people going from obedience to disobedience, obedience, disobedience, obedience, disobedience, obedience. And then finally, there's this offering of Jesus that is a new covenant, this idea that, okay, here's the deal. No longer do I want man to hear about me. I want to actually be a part of man's inner working. I want to write my laws on his heart. I want to fill him with my spirit, and I want him to know that I am with him. This is the new covenant that was purchased through Jesus' life is essentially all sin taken care of from a previous covenant that then says, guess what? I have purpose, meaning, and proximity for you in this new sacrifice. So with that, as we jump into Sermon on the Mount, part five, I pray that we realize there is a reward for those who diligently seek. Let's read he, once again, Matthew 6, 1 through verse 15, it says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. We could just stop because in all honesty, the next 14 verses after this are essentially Jesus unpacking this phrase. And what I, we talked about last week and what I'm kind of hitting at today is I think for a lot of us, we know how to do the things that get us noticed to be a Christian. Like, if you've been in church long enough, you know the, the, the bare basic minimum effort 
of involvement that kind of can attach that subculture or stereotype to your name by certain activities or words or things that we use. And this is no different in Jesus' day. That people are doing things to be noticed, to essentially be viewed as holy or viewed as anointed or viewed as somebody who really follows God. And so Jesus starts, but here's the funny thing. In typical Jesus fashion, what does he do? He takes it in a direction we don't think he's going. And what I mean by that is you're going to see here in a second that Jesus picks out a direction he wants this phrase to go. And most of the time, in per usual fashion, it's a place we didn't think he was going to go. So what are these things? Beware of practicing righteousness before men that might be noticed by them. What are these things? Otherwise, you have no reward from your father in heaven. Verse two, it says this. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you. All of a sudden, all of us in this room are like, well, I have no connection to this passage anymore. And if you are somebody who is given with a trumpet, personally, I commend you and will give you a reward for that. Then it says this, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. What are we seeing? There's a practice in which people are trying to give an appearance of a generous heart for the affirmations of man. It says this, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. That one struck me, because think about it. He's promised a reward, and we're gonna actually see exactly a reward for doing some things in secret. But he's also said that if you don't seek me in these secret habits, there is a reward, but it's not a reward of me, it's a reward of man. And I would say this to you today. I think for some of us, as we start to process these passages, maybe we might find in our own lives that, man, we've sought the rewards of man more than we've sought the rewards of God. Let's continue reading. It says this. Verse three, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Second time we're seeing this. I see what you do in secret and I reward a secret life. Now, most of us, we can think of secret sin, secret shame, secret condemnation. But can we think of secret behaviors and habits we have that we know God looks at and he's proud of? Now, here's a disclaimer here, and it's kind of funny because if you ever hear these first, these 15 verses, most people are immediately going to assume that this next passage is what I'm going to teach on, and I'm not teaching on it at all. And the next passage is, guess what? The Lord's Prayer. So we're going to read it, but I'm going to challenge you today. I'm not going to spend time on this, mainly because I did a long teaching on this in January of 2023, and I want to challenge you that if you were here uh, or if you did or weren't here and you didn't hear it, to go back and listen because I, I really unpacked it and I actually went through the notes this week and I was like, this is actually pretty good. So I'm not, gonna, I'm not even gonna add it. I'm not even gonna talk about it. It's all there. 
So on any podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, anything you can find, if you type in Fixate Phoenix and go to January of 2023, there's a title, Holistic Habits Prayer, and that is all on the Lord's Prayer. But we are still going to read this, but this is me inviting you. But I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this as we're focusing more on uh, this idea behind a reward of secret behavior. But once again, if you're somebody who you're looking for a deep breakdown of the Lord's Prayer, January 2023, Holistic Habits Prayer on our Fixate uh, podcast. But it says like this, verse eight, so do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse nine, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, I want to stop, though, before we continue going. I want to say this. I think there's a misconception in the church, and most of us, we don't even realize that we might feel a little bit a part of this story more than we think. The first one is this. I have so many people who come up to me and go, man, I don't really know how to pray. And I don't think it's that you don't know how to pray. It's that we've been raised in the context of street corner and church prayer and not secret place prayer. And what I mean by that is we need the affirmation of the activity to say that we've done it right. Instead of a posture of a heart that just repetitively and consistently Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What am I getting at here? I think for a lot of us, there is a reward in the secret, but the question then becomes, do I even have time for the secret? Do I even prioritize the secret? Is the secret even worth it? You know what's even more fascinating about this particular passage is the, we read this in our worldview of probably people who've maybe read it before or heard about it or maybe somebody's taught on it or it's like, oh, it makes sense. But we don't realize that Jesus is going on a lot of rabbit trails. Where did we start? Don't do things that get you noticed just to be noticed. And the best part is his first example is not this broad example. His first example is when you give to the poor, do it and don't tell anybody. It's like, why is that the first thing? Then his second thing Hey, when you pray, don't pray from the Torah. Don't pray from the Mosaic law. Don't pray, you know, Moses' song of deliverance in Deuteronomy. Don't pray those things. I'm going to give you a new prayer here. It's not written anywhere. It's not any scripture. No priest has ever taught it. But why don't you pray this prayer and do it in secret? Wait, what? I thought the only time we were supposed to pray is when we went to the synagogue, when we went to the temple. I thought that we were only supposed to pray the books of the law. I thought we were only supposed to pray rabbinical instructions. Well, how, you know, we put ourselves in this, we don't put ourselves in this story to understand that it was written to a people who are not us today and the social norms that are going on behind the scenes don't make any sense. See, that's what Jesus paid the price for. A new way of reasoning, a new way of functioning, a new way of believing, a new activity, new language of prayer. A new way of looking at generosity. See, this is all what Jesus is doing. Introducing a new way of training and not an old way of trying. So with that, 
I always like to tell incriminating stories about myself. <sighs> and uh, many of you guys know, I say this all the time, I was, I was raised a triple threat, which means I was public, private, and homeschool. Um, and uh, I was raised a triple threat. Now, homeschool 20 years ago, which was when I was homeschooled, was like, and I was raised in the Midwest, where homeschool was the equivalent of doing school in a one-room schoolhouse with wooden benches and no technology and, like, a, you know, my mom who wore a bonnet. No, I'm kidding. That's... But homeschool 20 years ago is like, now homeschool's like, actually kind of like, cool. Like, you got tons of activities and things you can do and, like, everybody's kind of doing it. Back then, it was like, oh, you're homeschooled? That's... Like, must have weird hippie parents. You know, it's like you must live in a van and somewhere, you know. But I remember when I was kind of homeschooled my freshman and sophomore year, I wasn't just homeschooled where my parents taught me. I was one of the first and only people I knew who was homeschooled online at their house, which I'm 49 now. I make jokes on my age every week and nobody laughs, but I still think they're funny. But I was, I was this is 20 years ago. I remember I was online and the, my mom liked it because she didn't have to teach me. The only problem is she did not know the mischievous son that she had. She did know the mischievous son she had. She definitely did. But I remember I started homeschool, and what I learned rather quickly is this. I had to be logged in for three hours every day. And how my homeschool worked is that I would go on, and on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I had to go in. I had five subjects. I would go in. I would read all of my subjects, and I had to take notes. At the very end of the week, I would take an open book, open note test. Now, for the first month, every day, taking notes on all my classes, two, three hours, or three hours, you know, doing it. But then I realized that I can skip all the content, Go right to the bottom and click, I read this. And it, as long as the, the website was open, it was timing me. So you know where I'm getting at. And then Friday, what, because everything was open book, I could go back at all the lessons that I'd clicked, I'd read, and just go through the lessons, find the answers, and plug them in. So first month, I'm very devoted. Second month, I realized that if I move my PS2 with NFL Street... If I move my PS2 with NFL Street right around the corner to where I'm working, my mom is a creature of habit. She would, and by creature of habit, she's a helicopter. And she would come down the stairs and check on me, but creature of habit, Jill, would flick on the lights every time she'd come down the stairs. So guess what? Micah had a gaming system set up under the stairs, under the stairs, in which when that light went on, if I was under the stairs, I was back at that desk in three seconds. Because she wasn't running down the stairs, she's slowly coming down, and it was one of those staircases that went and came, you went down first and then came down this way. Now, here's the thing, this is how it worked, is I realized there was a tab in this specific homeschool website that if I clicked on study hall, it made it look like I was working on workbooks or studying or different things like that. And so what I would do is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I could scroll to the bottom, hit that I read it, and within five minutes be done with all my assignments, click on study hall, and all I'm doing the rest is playing NFL Street on PS2, and I was a absolute dog. <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing, but Friday was a busy day, but the other weeks, man, 
I could breeze through it. And I tell you that because I feel like I've been trying to introduce these thoughts that Jesus is entering and speaking to a people who have learned how to do the most quickest, convenient, and comfortable behavior of passing the test without actually getting the knowledge inside that could change their reasoning. And I tell you that story about my childhood because I had mastered the art of appearing to do effective schoolwork, but secretly I wasn't doing what was expected of me. Secretly, I was doing enough to pass the test, but not enough for me to bend my will to the will of what was expected to me of me within the commitment I made to my education. See, what am I getting at? The question of if we follow God or if we don't follow God is if we believe his will is better than our will, his kingdom better than our kingdom. If you were to ask me the most important line of the Lord's Prayer, it changes every like six months because I say it often. And if you've been to church here, you know we say it as a community here often. But the phrase, your kingdom come and your will be done. How many of us say that and actually want it to happen? I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. Yeah, I used to, when I was in the Midwest, I was, lived like 30 minutes away, so I went to a ton of home games every year, at least you know, two or three. And I'll never forget, every week when the game would start, they would show the team in the locker room reciting the Lord's Prayer. And they'd be reciting it. And, you know, we all know, I, we, I just read the Lord's Prayer. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, here's the funny thing. I went to games that were incredible, but I also went to games that I still, to this day, am sick about. One of them, we lost to the Marshall Thundering Herd. I was in the stands. They were terrible. And we were ranked. Now, think about this, though. Do you think in the locker room before that game, when they prayed, your kingdom come and your will be done, if they thought that that might mean they would lose, would they want to say it? And I've thought about that a lot. How many of us, we say, your kingdom come and your will be done when it's easy, when it's convenient, or when it means that we might get something we want in return? How many of us have taught ourselves to say, your kingdom come and your will be done when it's painful, when we've lost people we loved? when relationships haven't worked out, when life is not going the direction we think? How many of us have taught ourselves to through the gritting of teeth and getting up and continuing to stay faithful to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The belief that even though our earth is imperfect, though our earth is not meeting the, the needs or the desires we had, that there could be a piece of heaven that touches ours. See, I challenge a lot of us as we start getting into the nitty-gritty of today. It's we're going to pivot away and also into, but also away, but then back to. This idea that there are rewards for secret, yes. But what it all comes down to is this. Is it his kingdom and his will, or is it your kingdom and your will? Because, man, we can say it over and over. But at the end of the day, is it his kingdom and his will? Or is it your kingdom and your will that you want to be done? 
So with that, I've got three tests of his kingdom and his will or my kingdom and my will for you this morning. Three tests of his kingdom and his will or my kingdom, my will. The first one is this. Your secret relationship with money will determine a lot about your secret relationship with God. Money is a tangible and practical test of if I believe in building his kingdom and submitting to his will, or if I'd rather focus on my kingdom and my will. There is a reward for those who will repeatedly do in secret what others do not see because there is a promise that he sees and he rewards. You know, I I say this and I feel like I'm starting to, uh, I can play devil's advocate here and I feel like I'm starting to gain my thorough, like, lens of which I view money and kingdom. Um, Not because I haven't been a generous person. I've always practiced tithing, me and my wife, as long as we've been married, as well as we we believe in giving more than that, uh, specifically to missions and different things. And for some of us, you can immediately hear that and go, okay, well, didn't it just say in the Bible to not sound a trumpet? You have a microphone. It's like the same thing. And I want to say this to you today because I think there's some things about modern Christianity and cultural Christianity back then that that are inverse of each other. And the first one is this. Back then, to be involved in temple proceedings, you were mandated to give. Mandated. Every person would line up. Every person would give. You can actually research that. I believe it's Mark chapter 12. I have it written down here somewhere where Jesus looks and he's watching people give and he says that widow has given more than everybody else. He sees the amount she's putting in versus the amounts others are putting in. Isn't that interesting? How many of us, that's a little bit like if you went to church and we're like, all right, what's your amount today? We'd be like, cult, which in this day and age, maybe a little. Anyway, um, But the cultural ramification was this. Everybody was generous. Everybody was. Why? Because it was an action and a wording that we knew we had to do to meet a base level. Now, why is it that Jesus singles out generosity to other people? Is because this, this was the aspect that not a lot of people did. But when people did it, they wanted to be known as somebody who was doing more and was better than everybody else. Or should I say it like this? I'm giving for the affirmation and for people to put me on a pedestal of success and somebody who's more devoted, who is better than everybody else. And Jesus is coming against that. He's not saying don't give or don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing per se within the language of, you know, just... He's essentially saying, if God moves your heart to do that, don't do it from the affirmation that you might want. Do it from the fact that I have moved your heart to give. But what's interesting about giving in and of itself, and I love that Jesus brings it up, is because what we see in the New Testament and we see in the Old Testament is giving is not tied to a certain covenant. You know, within the first four people that ever were formed on this earth, there is, a, there is a lesson on being generous. And there is a lesson on people who aren't. The lesson of Cain and Abel. Abel who gave his best. Abel who gave the first fruits. Abel who gave and his offering was pleasing to God. Cain who gave when it was convenient. Who gave what was left over. And then angry at God's reward for Abel kills him. 
But not only that, we can see from Genesis through Revelation, there are instances in all the covenants of which people were generous and God remembered their names to be talked about. What am I trying to get at? I think for a lot of us, we don't know that the test of money and possessions really comes down to, is my money and my possession building his kingdom and his will, or is it only devoted to my kingdom and my will? And I'm going to challenge you, there is a perspective of God that you will miss if you do not practice generosity. There is a revelation of God's goodness and provision for your life right now that if you faithfully give, he will reveal himself to you in profound ways. I don't give to get things, but I give to prove my whole, not just prove, but to tell myself I am wholehearted. Nothing else has the top seat in my life. But I can tell you instances that would blow your mind of God providing housing, vehicles, all, this entire church, I don't even want to talk about how that happened. But I think a little bit of it happened because God knew that whatever he'd place in, his hand, in our hands would be fully his. And I ask you today, if God places in your hands, is there faithful generosity that he can trust what he's giving is not just for your kingdom to be built and your will to be done. You know, in scripture... Robert Morris says that there's 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, and 2,000 on money and possessions. Of the 38 parables written, 16 reference money and possessions. What I want to say to you is I believe this morning there are people God is inviting you to the challenge of giving in secret. Because he wants to reveal a reward for you that also may be in secret, but it might be what your heart wants. You know, the worst thing I think we can do as a church is tell people to give and then you'll get. Because it's not about giving and getting superficially. It's about practicing a posture of diligence and wholeheartedness. And I'm telling you, when you do, there is things that you get from God that you could have never accomplished through partiality. Never accomplish through duplicity. See, you can't, the Bible talks about it, you can't serve God and two masters. And he's literally referencing money in that one. But for many of us in this culture, I love that Jesus introduces this thought directly first. What does he say? Don't do things to be seen. And for many of us, we're like, okay, but this seems like a little bit of a reach related to, okay, well, don't, you know, be generous to poor people and don't let other people see it. No, the the best part is the principle. Do in secret and I'll reward. See, that's what we're talking about this morning. Do in secret, I'll reward. Do you believe it? The second thing I have for you this morning is this. Your prayer life is not what others see. It's what you do alone in the quiet. There is a reward for this quiet, rhythmic, faithful, committed life of prayer. If you can remember more acts of sinning in secret than praying in secret, there may be a his kingdom, but my will theology that is present. Rewards from the secret will always be better than the affirmations of being seen. You know, I think for a lot of us right now, we look and go, okay, but what does it mean to actually pray in secret? And what does Jesus say? Pray this in secret. It doesn't get any easier. 
You know, I took this personally probably two years ago in which I felt like the Lord's challenged me to pray this in secret three times a day, the Lord's Prayer. And I'm telling you, it transformed how I see, perceive, and interact with God in prayer as a whole. And I would say this to you today right now. If you have no habits and no practice of prayer, right now, if you just started every day, just getting quiet for a second, and just saying the Lord's Prayer, you might find that just doing what Jesus said in this, you develop what feels like a proximity and presence of God's nearness to you right now that you could have never encountered on your own. I want to read just a couple things I wrote about this. Prayer in the secret is about how we process his kingdom and his will when it's contrary to my kingdom and my will. Prayer in the secret is about seeing, being seen more by our creator than being seen more and affirmed by his creation. Praying in the secret is about being fully ourselves and fully with God. Prayer in the secret brings rewards that root our lives deeper into the secret. Prayer in the secret is an activity of God in which he looks to see if anyone will actually hold him to his promise that a life rooted in secret prayer will have a reward attached. Man, I can't tell you how many times if I come on stage and I'm like, hey guys, God's got a reward for you today. Many of us would be like, oh, you know, if I was like, hey, we're handing out free rewards for coming to church this morning. After the service, we'll make sure to hand it to you. Right, you get one, you get one, you get one. No, old video, I don't care. All of us, we are wired for rewards. But man, we're not wired for sacrifice. Man, we're not wired for uncomfortability. Man, we're not wired for just doing things that just cost. We are not wired for that. But we're wired for rewards. But that's what makes rewards sweet is when you know you paid a cost. If you get a reward for cheating, all you feel is what you shortcutted through. And you don't feel it like you do, that you know you worked hard. You know you persevered. You know you put your blood, sweat, and tears in it. What am I trying to say to you? There is a reward for a secret life of prayer. There is a reward for a faithfully generous person that doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want to be known, but just wants to be wholehearted. There is a reward for the diligent today. There is a reward. And how do I know? Because if Jesus talks about it, it's there. I talked to somebody after the 8 a.m. that was asking me questions about the reward. and I was processing with this person that uh, the best part about talking about discipline is knowing that I paid the cost, but knowing that while I was paying the cost, I was believing that the cost was, was being paid unto something. And I was reminded even this week there was something God did where me and my wife have paid the cost of praying and fasting for, for somebody for well over a year that God did something for them this week that they had been believing for their whole life. See, this is what you have to understand. Some of us, we look at the cost, but we don't, can't even rationally understand the reward. You cannot put to words the reward of diligence. You cannot put to words the reward that comes from a secret life. Why? Because we think rewards are consumeristic and superficial. And God knows the needs of your soul. And the reward he gives is not a bigger bank account, but it's a head that can sleep without anxiety. It's a life that can live without depression. 
It's an understanding of faith that no matter what obstacle is in front of me, I serve a God that can help me through. These are the rewards of diligence, is when you root your life in such a strength and pace of walking with God that you taste contentment that no person could give. You drink of wholeness that you never could manufacture, that you know peace, that no amount of your own strength or striving could give. My last thought and test for you this morning is this. The war you will fight every day, your eyes are open. Whose kingdom and whose will do you pursue? If it's his kingdom and his will, we must do the things he commands both in public and in secret. Committing to the things that bring transformation and pushing through the tension of sanctifying our flesh with his spirit and word. If it is our kingdom we want to come and our will we want to be done, don't be surprised if Jesus feels empty, boring, and distant. For if we will not practice, he cannot produce. You know, I want to shout this out again. um, A reminder, you know, I'm not going to be spending a ton of time on the Lord's Prayer today, but if you want to go back and listen um, to specifically what that was, that's January 2023, um, Holistic Habits. I was thinking this week, uh, I love to go through car washes. I do. I have a prepaid, like, thing. It's like 14 bucks a month. It's awesome. And, and I was thinking about this week how much I love to go through car washes. Some people are like, where are you going? Don't worry. This is the end. I was thinking about just how much I loved car washes. And the reason I love car washes is this. I have no effort. I don't have to do anything. And it feels like I've accomplished something. People are laughing because they know where I'm going. How many of us, we want a car wash savior? Where we just want to sit there, not really do anything, just put it in neutral, and hope he just accomplishes it all. There was a, when I was growing up, there was a uh, man in our church that we lived with and he had an old car. It was a Austin Healey. And it was a beautiful car. But you couldn't take it to the car wash. So on Saturdays when we were living with him, I'll never forget, he used to wash it by hand, wax it by hand, buff it by hand, put the tire shine on by hand. Every spoke he would wax. It. The interior completely, it'd take hours And then he'd cover it. But I'm telling you, the worth of that car was insane because of how he took care of it, how he prioritized it. I don't know why I was thinking about that today, this week, as I was thinking about this sermon. How many of us treat God like, I just want to show up, put my life in neutral for a second, hopefully get washed enough to make it through another week? Instead of showing up, pursuing God in a way in which he teaches you how to take care of your soul in a way that there is a worth that you could have never got on your own. See, I challenge us today, when we talk about his kingdom and his will versus our kingdom and our will, do we believe these rewards of secret 
are worth the sacrifice. Because if we do, that is the first step in us saying, okay, God, I know there is sacrifice, but I know you've promised reward, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to seek your kingdom and your will above my own. That's the invitation to us this morning. There are rewards for it in the secret. There is a secret reward for those who are faithfully generous. There is a secret reward for those who build a life of prayer that is unseen. There is a secret reward for those who will diligently seek him. Do you believe it? Do you choose his kingdom and his will over yours? Do you stand to your feet? At this time, we're just going to take a moment uh, as we worship with one final song this morning to be present in this place, to be still, but also to recite the Lord's Prayer. So I encourage you today to just process. Maybe some of us, we know that we have secret relationships right now with these things that we know we maybe need to submit to His will or His kingdom. But more than I, anything, I invite you to be present in his peace for you, his love for you. That more than anything, what Jesus is, is a relationship. And that relationship is just the choice to follow him and the prioritization to cultivate. It's no different than human relationship as it pertains to time investment. As it pertains to building your life around someone learning how they communicate, learning the language that they use that speaks to you, learning what they love. See, God has purchased a proximity with the divine for you. So with that, let's be present this morning. say the Lord's Prayer with me. It's on the screens if you don't know. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day